0: Welcome, everyone, back to the Rehumanize podcast. We have a very, very
1: exciting episode today with Myra Rodriguez. Yeah, Myra rocks. I'm excited. Um, if you came to the Rehumanized conference last year, you might be familiar with her story because she spoke there. Um, she just rocks. I like her. She, we'll talk about it more in the episode, I'm sure. Um, but her story is so compelling. Um, we we know a couple different um sort of uh, pro-life former abortion clinic workers or directors who um, have gone on to be pro-life influencers. Um, and I have no comments on any of them except for Myra, who is my favorite. Um, I don't know about that. There's a couple other ones that are very nice too. But um, Myra, I think is just the best. Her story is so compelling. Um, it also, there's an interesting twist as we'll talk about um I don't know if twist is the right word, but she she also, when she worked for Planned Parenthood, she was an undocumented worker. Um, and so I think that it adds a, a sort of layer to her testimony that um, I think is really exciting to get to to share with pro-life audiences um, who may not be exposed to people who are undocumented or formerly undocumented. Um, and, and it really shows the way that Planned Parenthood you know, targets certain certain people in certain communities that are more at risk um, to sort of legal trouble if they do have the bravery to be a whistleblower and speak out against them. Um, and so I think Myra's great. She's going to be a guest on the Rehumanize podcast starting in several seconds. So um, I don't really have anything else to add. Emiliano, anything else you want to share before we get started? Um.
0: I do have a quick plug for something that I'm going to be working on. Uh, This one, uh, this podcast won't be out uh, in time for everybody to listen to it live. But uh, on March 28th, uh, I am going to be helping uh, some human rights organizations at the UN. One of those are uh, COSI the group that has uh, worked with us before at the Rehumanize conference to discuss militarism and specifically uh, US militarism and war crimes across the world. This is hosted by uh, two Latin American uh, human rights organizations affiliated with the UN to try and highlight that there are war crimes ongoing and wars ongoing in the world right now that are kind of being ignored because of um, the just hyper focus on the Ukrainian crisis, which obviously is a very important thing, a a great tragedy um, that must be condemned and that must be um, moved to be ended as soon as possible um, by the international community. This panel is uh, trying to highlight the wars in Yemen, the regime change operations in Latin America, um, and other human rights abuses across the Middle East, Africa, and um, Latin America that have never received the the attention that uh, the crisis in Ukraine is receiving right now. Um, so I will be translating live for that on March 28th. Uh, and then the uh, video will be uploaded to the... Uh, YouTube page of uh, AIDHDES, which is the Asociación Internacional de Derechos Humanos y uh, Desarrollo Social Antes Las Las Naciones Unidas, which is, um, yeah, IDES, uh, the International Association for Human and Social Rights before the United Nations. So... um, if you would like to check that out after it has come out, um, I will be helping to translate that. And our um, friend friendly organization, um, COSI, uh, a human rights organization in Venezuela, will be uh, co-hosting that.
1: Exciting. I will definitely watch. Are you, are you translating from another language into Spanish or oh, from Spanish? No, I will
0: be translating from um, Spanish into English. So if you watch the English one, that's
1: going to be me. Sweet. I'll watch it. I'll come. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to make it there, but I will watch online. Um, that rocks. Cool. I'm excited. Um, yeah, we're not doing an outro today. That, you're right. That would be better than an outro, but whatever. Um, it's good in the intro, so go to that event online if you can. Maybe we'll share about it on Twitter if, if we get a good link um, on the Rehumanize page. We probably will. Um, cool. Uh, I don't do you have anything else to share before we head into the interview with Myra? Nope, let's do it. Let's talk to Myra. Awesome, cool. So let's get started. Welcome, Myra to the Rehumanized Podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. You know, Rehumanize, uh, it's an organization dear to my heart. Why? Because we're pro-life for the whole life and we don't have a lot of groups like that, right? Um, I'm against guns, even though I live in Arizona and I know you feel the same way. Uh, even my husband says you have to learn to use it. You live in a ranch, I don't think I can shoot anyone to be honest with you So why learn to use it? But things like that that only certain people in the pro-life movement get right now We don't find a lot of people pro-life for their whole life, but we found each other and that's great Thank you for having me here
1: Yes, I am excited. I'm really excited that you not only are in the movement, um, because we're gonna talk about your story and what has led you to be part of this movement. um, But, and I've said this to other people, that I am just so excited, not that you are like in the pro-life movement and you're fighting on the side for life, but that you're doing it sort of in our corner in this weird little alternative pro-life, consistent life ethic, pro-life for the whole life, pro-life feminist sort of world. Not alternative um, for long, not alternative for forever. I know. Well, that that's the thing that that we for as long as we've existed, we have sort of been the alternative pro life people, and now I see new people like you coming into the movement and immediately being drawn to rehumanize and consistent life network and Democrats for Life and POW and um, the sort of people who were kind of the weird kids at the table alone, and now it's like everyone wants to come to this table because they know it's they know it's winsome that it is exciting that, it, that this philosophy of you know nonviolence towards all human beings and respect for all life is correct it's just a good philosophy to hold but also that it's winsome that it works when we're talking to pro abortion people to represent ourselves in the best way to be able to change hearts and minds and meet them where they are without sort of the baggage that maybe um, being tied to the Republican Party or a particular faith or anything else um, can have. It, it breaks down those barriers. So I'm so excited that you are pro-life in the first place, because as we'll talk about, has not always necessarily been the case. Um, and uh, that, that you're fighting this fight with us and that you're here on the Rehumanized podcast.
2: With my new microphone
1: with her new microphone you guys can't see this but myra bought a new um very fancy looking microphone off the internet and it's very impressive we'll get this out of the way now we didn't tell myra that we don't record the visuals we just uh we just record the audio but we all see each other when we're recording um and Myra was a little disappointed to learn that uh, you would not see her her beautiful look because she has put together a great background and you have the bandana that we can talk a little bit about. Um, anything else you would like to share, Myra, about your your setting? You have the microphone, you have the flag, you have the bandana. You look beautiful in general. Tell me about the bandana.
2: Yeah, well, the bandana, the blue color, right? Why is it blue color? I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but in Argentina, the movement started. their March for Life is this weekend, and it started because of the Day International Day of the Unborn, which is today, um, and that's when uh, Argentina started their March for Life. So here we have the Extreme Families group showing up with green bandanas, right? The ones that came from Spain. Right. And they started in Argentina, bringing the green bandanas. So then the people in Argentina got tired of being like, what color should you bring? And they used to just bring their Argentina flag, which is white and blue all the time. Right. And that's where the blue bandana came in. It came from the flag from Argentina that celebrate. So we inherited that from Argentina, all over Latin America. And hopefully now we're doing that same color all over the world because we're injecting that blue color of life. Right. So we wear the bandanas as a representation that we are pro-life and we wear it everywhere. You know, any conference that I do, I have a blue bandana, especially between Latin America. Um, The plaque behind me is a pro-life that won, the pro-life plaque that won internationally and that a lot of us have acquired ourselves. Then I have, I am Catholic, so I have my divine mercy, Jesus, uh, right above because he's a big, important part of my testimony. That some of you know, and some of you may hear later, but, um, all that just makes uh, my scene right here. And usually this is where I record, this is where I do what I do when it's, um, online. And, but yeah, the bandana its something I wear all the time. I have it, whether it's a little one, because I have one that you can just put on your arm that this lady gave me in Mexico. And I had promised her it says save both lives. I'm going to show them to them. You guys won't see it, but it says, let's save them both. And then that you just put it on your arm like that you know so that would be a good idea uh, you know to have on this side of the world
1: yeah we do that a little bit You'll, you you increasingly in the us we've seen the blue bandanas um i know outside of the supreme court during Dobbs v jackson oral arguments i was wearing a blue bandana somewhere they have a
2: complaint about that right who the Republicans think that wearing blue just means they're Democrats, you know, and that's a sad part, you know, that this country has made blue and red just part of a political party, so when you're trying to stay away from that, it's hard for them to understand that your blue color means not representation of a political party, just means pro-life, you know, and that's why I think it has taken a lot longer to be able to push the blue, don't you think?
1: Yeah, probably. I think
0: Americans just, like, don't realize that, like,
1: It's not, it's not like that kind of like Royal Democrat blue, but yeah, it is. That, that might be a barrier. I don't know. I use it in the U S and no one, I haven't had any Republican strategists be like, you're actually, what's wrong with this movement yet? But I feel like Americans also just like consistently forget that
0: there's like an entire other world and like other like colors and symbolism in outside of the United States. Uh, I actually thought it's funny that it's, uh, like, has its roots in, you know, just like the national Argentine flag, Uh, I thought it was like a a Marian symbol. Um, uh, It looks like a very, like, Our Lady of Lords or something.
2: Yeah, no, and you're right, which is the reason why Argentina's flag is blue. It's Ah, because of Our Lady Mary. So there you go, you were right, and towards Uh, the roots of the blue. One
0: step away. But yeah, yeah,
2: the... Yeah, the, the pro life flag. Yeah, it, it came. It started in Argentina, the blue bandana. Yeah, so that's where we inherited from. But yeah, you're right. The blue color on the Argentina flag has to with Our Lady, because as you know, their patron, um, the Virgin of their patron, had a blue uh-huh. uh, cover up. So that's why. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, you were close. Very good. You yeah. Awesome.
1: So let's just, let's first, I guess I'll just ask you to do, it, it's hard because I feel like your story has so many layers and there's so many different parts that are worth talking about and that branch into so many different sort of consistent life ethic issues that we talk about on the Rehumanize podcast. Um, and so that's why you're such like a, you know, a great person, but a great person to be in the movement. Um that we when I talk to you I don't exactly know where to where to start um, so I guess I'm just going to leave it up to you can you tell us a little bit about your testimony why you are someone who now is so engaged in international pro-life advocacy and what what led you to this point
2: well, uh, some of you know, I'm a former Planned Parenthood director, also, also known as a whistleblower, right? Because I blew the whistle against the abortionist and stuff that you guys have seen, right? That you guys are seeing and then have talked about for so long. But when you're in the inside, you know, in this meaning, the abortion industry, you're blindsided, right? Purposely, right? And I always said that it was my selfish side that made me just be blind, you know? In Spanish, we say something like uh, the blind sees what they want to see, right? Like the truth right in front of you, but it's not convenient, right? Because the truth is inconvenient. And we've seen this in our movement, right? Like when you argue with someone on the pro-choice side, you always get, what about the rape victim? Yeah, what about less than 1% of the abortions are rape victims? I know that because during my time as a director, none of my patients have been rape victims. You know, that's 10 months as a director of abortion facility and none of them had been a victim of rape. None of them had any medical problems. So all these excuses that we constantly hear about why abortion should be kept legal and why abortion should be happening, it's actually not happening, right? That's not the reason why abortions are happening. But I didn't see that. It took me to become the director of the biggest abortion clinic in the state of Arizona to see what you all have seen, right? All this time, believe it or not, I worked for Planned Parenthood for almost 17 years, 17 years actually. I started in the year 2000 and then um, I got fired in 2017. And what got me to be fired is that I became the director and I started complaining about the abortions. I started complaining about what you guys have, see, have seen, which is the complication rate, The complications that are not reported, the perforations, um, the breaking the law, the not following the legislations made in place, you know, like right now. If you knew that in Texas, no one's actually making sure that none of these abortion facilities are not doing abortion. No one's actually going to see that happen in Arizona. You know, the abortions were supposed to be doing something that wasn't happening. And no one was checking to make sure it was happening. So we work hard to put all these legislations, but no one makes sure they're following them. You know, so how do we make sure that they're following them? So I start complaining. And then there's a case that most people remember, which is a fourteen-week baby that uh, the doctor did an abortion, and then um, he forgot the baby head inside. And let's remember, and I'm not going to be cruelsome about when I speak about this, but let's remember that any abortion happening after twelve weeks, so thirteen weeks, enough, it's through the dismemberment of these babies, right? They rip up apart the baby legs, the heart, I mean, the torso, the head, the arms. So when this happens. It's like a puzzle we have to put together, right? They put everything on a little container and then the assistant, and supposed to be the doctor with her, takes him to a room. And this is where, remember, they've been called that room, the pieces of children, the POC room, products of conception room. And they put together that puzzle, right? Two legs, two arms, a head, a torso. In this case, the head was missing. And the assistant went into my office and said, you know, he inserted an IUD. I told him he needed to wait for me to check. He didn't. He already inserted it. He's moving on. Why? Because he's in a hurry. Remember, they have to see 45 patients and they only take 15 minutes on each patient. What do I tell people that I learned? That your dentist takes longer checking your your teeth to tell you what teeth he should be treating today. He takes longer doing that than an abortion is doing an abortion. So he wanted to see the next patient. Of course, he it's not like an abortionist wants to get there to work early. He's a doctor, right? So doctors are not going not go to school to spend a whole day in their in their office, right? So he got there at 9 o'clock. By 3 o'clock, he needed to be done. That means 45 patients between 9 and 3 o'clock. So obviously, it has to be one after the other. One after the other. It's a business, right? That's what I said, too. That it was a business. The amount of money that we deposit. Now, remember that. When I became the director of this abortion facility, I was already directing two clinics that were not doing abortion. So I had a lot of experience for sixteen years on non-abortion facilities. So this was to me shocking. You know, when I tell people the deception about my former employer, which is Blanc Parenthood, who I work for, it's real, you know, some people are like, Well, how could you have deception about a monster? And I'm like trying to imagine that you're married to this person that you thought they were good, right? All this time, you've been defending them because they've been good to you, right? And all these people tell you outside, they're cheating on you, they're doing this, they're abusive, and you're like, no, 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 they're very nice to me, they treat me well, right? Yeah, they they overwork me, but that's because they like me, right? And I'm their best employee, so that's why I get to manage two clinics for the price of one, right? So... And then I got to manage three clinics for the price of one, right? But that's because they love me, right? And they're so proud of my, of my skills and my accomplishment, right? That's the same thing you will be doing with someone that, you know, they're in an abusive relation or something, always making excuses of why you're being treated like that, right? And you don't see. Eventually, you get to see what it's really happening, right? You get to see the abuse. You get to see the cheating. And you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm awake now. I can see the truth. I'm being cheated, Right. And being abused and that's what happened. So the deception that I try to tell people is like, imagine you've been in a relationship with this person for so long and all of a sudden you realize that what everyone said outside was true. And then you realize that you were being underpaid, right? Because why? Because I'm, I was Mexican, I'm Mexican, right? I'm an immigrant and uh, part of my story is that I had no legal documents to work in the United States, when plan employed me. So I was like one of those immigrants, many millions of them, there are in this country that kept working harder and very loyal and devoted because I was grateful. See, another thing about my story is that I am that face of the immigrant. You know, the the face of the immigrant that we fall into these kinds of jobs because we are grateful of the opportunity we get into our country. We came running away from our country for violence or economic reasons, different reasons why people are here. So once we get a job and someone is nice to us, we give more than 100%, you know? Latin like American people, immigrants are known for being hard workers. So obviously I always gave my best, right? Well, that didn't get me to get the best out of them, right? Because I did, I ended up fired. Why? Because I accused the abortionists of wrongdoing and they didn't like that. And then one day it was like, Myra, when well, you were gone on Friday, we found narcotics in your desk. So it was a setup, right? And... I end up fired and then I'm still a Mexican immigrant, right? And I'm like, what am I gonna do against the giant, right? Like I know they have won every loss. So I've been part of this organization for seventeen years and no one has taken them to court, right? I mean the whole David DeLiden thing was going on and how that went so horrible, right? So I was like, What am I going to do? Well, with the help of the community praying outside, they um which it's something I like to talk about too because you know, when people see other people outside, they try to tell you that you're against their rights and you're not there to help them, that you're there to judge them. And I mean, you know more about this. I mean, you are always on the fence in places like that. You, you get to see this, that these are the people who want to take your rights away and, and the protesters and the invaders. Or I don't remember whether they have been called lately. But usually, you know, the, this is what they tell us that you are outside. Right? These people outside are here because they hate you, they hate what we're doing, you know, they hate you as the employee, and they're not here to help you, you know, they're here because they wish you were dead too, right? So then mm-hmm. this open wouldn't be functioning. Well, that wasn't true, right? Because the lady that was praying outside one day went like, Where's Myra? You know, when I got fired. Who doesn't, right? Who let like it's praying outside misses the director of the abortion facility. But she did. She's like, Where's Myra? So she found a way to find me. We start talking and she tells me to get some emotional healing and spiritual healing with a priest. And then this whole story started with the help of my community here in Phoenix, Arizona. We find my lawyer and check this out. I show up to my lawyer's office and then I tell him like a novella, right? Like a Mexican novella. So this happened and they set me up and this and this and that. And he says, I believe you. That's the most amazing thing that happened to me. You know, the fate of my lawyer on me is what got me through this, you know, because if he would not have believed in me, he will be like, no, she's just a sour employee, you know, she's a revengeful employee, you know, she she actually is trying to get back to them. Without him, I wouldn't be here, right, because he decided to defend me, and I swear to you, the very first thing I told him was, but I am undocumented, and he's like, you have rights, and we will defend it. You know, so it wasn't easy. You can imagine being undocumented immigrant, starting a lawsuit against a giant corporation. You know, most people are afraid to do that against their employer. I always tell people whistleblowers are, are what they call, you know, as snitches get stitches. You know, there's a reason why they say that. So it was not an easy decision i mean i had a lot
1: to lose. Um, being deported yeah, it was incredibly brave to come out against planned parenthood to you know I, and and i mean they know that any any organization company nonprofit they are they know what they're doing and they know that they can bully people who are undocumented and they can overwork them and they can do all their union busting activities and they can do all of the things that Planned Parenthood is famous for. And it's even worse against their undocumented workers and the undocumented abortion patients because when things go wrong, when workers are abused and when uteruses are perforated or um, perhaps illegal abortion techniques are being used, um, like late-term abortion. Um, This was a a thing that came up constantly in the Kermit Gosnell trials that the women who were most harmed by him were often undocumented because there is that stigma and it is scary because your rights could very easily get violated in this country because you are undocumented. Um, So I think your bravery is so clear. I think I would hope even a pro abortion person could see that bravery and respect it, um, even if they might not be so happy that you were going after Planned Parenthood. Um, but they they deserved it. <laughs> to me, clearly, they, they deserved it, not just for killing babies, but you know, for the, the rest of the stuff that they do that is actually illegal. Um it's and, nice and you're a-
2: right. You're right. let me let me interrupt you there because you are right. Um, during the trial, and, and I don't know if you guys are familiar for a trial, but you get 100 people to be chosen as jurors, right? And they have to be selected. And we end up with the selection of 10 jurors so that were all pro-abortion and pro planned parenthood. You know, so you are right because they, they sided with me. They sided unanimously with me because on August 16 of 2019, I won that lawsuit against Planned Parenthood in the state of Arizona. You know, and this is when this all started. You know, you asked me at the beginning why... I'm known in Latin America, why I took this fight, as
1: not only in my border, not only in my
2: home state, you know, but across the borders, across the world. You know, and the reason is because I knew their business technique. I knew why they want Latin America. You know, unfortunately, I like to say I came out as a pro-life activist in 2020, you know, when the whole pandemic started. And the very first thing I started telling them is they need an abortion center in every city in Latin America and they won't rest until they got it. Now look at us where we are today, two years later. More than half of Latin America has legalized abortion and not only stopped at 12 weeks or 13 weeks like Mexico City, but we have cities like, countries like Colombia going up to 24 weeks. You know, we have many states in Mexico fighting still today, we have lost well, seven states already legalize abortion you know uh, so the fight is real right and I knew that it was a business model you know I knew that from the year 27, 2007 when they legalized abortion in Mexico City so I knew I couldn't just stay put I knew that yes I want a lawsuit. yay Mayra B. parenthood, you know but my fight was enough
0: um, I, I wanted to ask this might be a little bit of a despiación but um So you've been on the inside, Um, we've speculated kind of on uh, the last several podcasts about what influence the American abortion movement has in Latin America. You who've been on the inside, uh, what can you tell us more about, you know, the actual influence that um, abortion organizations in the United States, like Planned Parenthood and like the Planned Parenthood International Fund, have been actually supporting uh, abortion movements in Latin America. Because that's something that's been very, very surprising to me is the speed to which all of these uh, constitutional challenges and legal challenges have been happening in Latin America with Colombia just this year. Um, and in Mexico, there was the, the court ruling as well. Things have seemingly moved very, very quickly, and in, in Argentina too. And lots of times, what's been interesting to me is that the countries that have been affected have really been countries that have more American influence. Like the countries that don't really have close relationships with the United States, which are mostly leftist countries: Venezuela, Cuba. Bueno, Cuba desde hace mucho tiempo. Nicaragua, o sea, they still have maintained pretty restrictive abortion laws, but it's been the uh, countries that we consider typically more right wing like colombia uh like mexico that have been the ones who have been liberalizing abortion laws the fastest
2: yeah well let's just start by saying that this business model has taken longer than they wanted okay they were planning to have abortion legal across latin america by 2010. They started with Mexico City and they never expected, they held back, they received from Mexico City in most Latin American countries. Now, one thing you should know about Latin America, and I mean, you know this uh, uh, from uh, being descendant of Mexican. but once you get Argentina and Mexico, the rest fall into, right? And, And that just happens on everything, you know, on everything in Latin America. Once you have Mexico and Argentina, you'll get the rest of the continent, right? Um, so that's why their fight started with Argentina. And then, I mean, what you can see right now, it's the mock of Roe versus white. Agree. It's a Roe versus white, Colombia, Roe versus white, Mexico, Roe versus white, Argentina, but even to the extreme, because I don't know if you know this, but because most of those countries, they know that without the doctors, no matter how many times you legalize abortion, you're not going to get abortions done because you won't have doctors that will are be willing to do abortions. So what do they do? They remove their right to conscience, right? In Argentina, and, and I know you have followed this, in Argentina, doctors can lose their license for not agreeing to do abortions. And so in Mexico, and that's what they've been trying, to fight against this, right? That they're being forced to perform abortions. So it's not only like America, but they're being forced to perform abortions as these doctors are, because they know that most of the medical um, department are pro-life, right? And because... You just said it, they're right-wing countries, you know, they're conservative, they're Catholic, they're Christian, you know, they're very religious and faith-based. Now, why is there so much influence from, from um, the United States? Well, they needed the right um, combination of governments, right? And we can see that their governments, they were more willing to allow abortion into their countries, Right. And that's where it comes uh, when I tell people, we cannot just sit down at home waiting to see if our politicians will do what they had promises to do. You know, the fight, it's at home when we have our children, right? Because if you just sit at home waiting for that politician to keep his promise, well, we all have been deception by politicians, right? Even here in the United States, how many Republicans have gone against pro-life things, you know? So... Now, there's a lot of money involved, first of all, and it, we have to go back to when Margaret Sander mm-hmm. created International Plant Parenthood Federation, you know, which she, she started with India, you know, so that she combined all this power with Mary Stubbs, which I you know you're familiar because you're right now in Mexico, you know, they combine all this force and then you create also... Uh, all these uh, organizations and foundations that go around plant Parenthood. See, plant Parenthood is a very smart organization, right? It's a very smart organization that not only do they get a lot of money, but they're very smart the way they place their money. Instead of just being parent, and I mean, in Mexico, it's called Max They're affiliate, it's MexFan, right? They have more affiliates than McDonald's has locations. I like to say that because it's true, right? In Colombia, it's called Pro Familia, you know, They're never called Planned Parenthood, and most people think that maybe it's because Planned Parenthood just doesn't want their bad reputation from America to follow them everywhere, but it has to do with tax purposes, right? The amount of tax when you're a big corporation internationally is different, that instead of you having little arms when you just give money as donations, right, and then you get discounted your taxes in that country, that's exactly what Planned Parenthood does, right? They go and provide these billions of dollars to Mexico to push and legalize abortion, they go and provide billions of dollars to profit in Colombia to legalize abortion. You know, and unfortunately, we have to always remember that these are countries that they're not being known for being the more clean politically, right? They're not for being corrupt, which it comes to why Latin American people here in the United States are, I'm going to say it, I am Mexican, so I get to say this, we're lazy when it comes to voting. Why? Because we come from countries where politically, well, we, Politics are corrupted and no matter how many times we go on vote, the wrong person gets elected because A, they're rich, B, they're with the narcos, you know, with you know, with the drug dealing business, you know, or C, nowadays, they're with Planned Parenthood, right? So they're going to win because there's money involved, right? So uh, it was a combination of a lot of things, you know, money is the first thing why it's so influential in Latin America. You know, second, the right combination of governments in those countries that will allow this happening, and you know, uh, don't get me started. That I mean, a lot of these countries were pushed to legalize abortion. But if you want help with COVID, then you have to legalize abortion. I mean, how how horrible was that?
1: Yeah, I think that this. I think that this way of looking at the abortion issue through an international lens is so important and is only becoming more important as more states um, or more countries are debating the issue Um And potentially rolling back rights for the unborn, um, like we're seeing in a lot of Latin American countries. Um, But, you know, that's a global thing too. It's happening in Europe. Um, We all saw Ireland lose the Eighth Amendment. which was a tragic loss um, and so i think more and more this is becoming an international issue um, which i hope i hope can be a good thing i hope that we can use this opportunity to build a pro-life movement internationally um, because ultimately up until a couple years ago there really was only a strong you know politically um capable essentially Um, movement for the unborn in the United States um, that was widespread throughout the entire country. Um, Whereas I feel like most other countries have sort of been – have have been building – A pro-life movement, Um, and I think in Latin America, it's really exciting to see. Just I would say in the past year or two, how much the movement has grown. Um, I've I've had I've a couple friends in Latin American countries, and seeing the rallies that they have attended. You know, when it seemed like they were one of six people. You know, maybe five or six years ago. Saying, "Hey, guys, we need to make sure that we we keep these laws on the books because all these countries around us are legalizing abortion or liberalizing abortion laws." um, To now seeing those six people in seas of you know thousands and tens of thousands in Latin America standing up for the rights of the unborn, Um, and I will say I'll bring it up again: just the optics of it—the blue bandanas and the blue—it's so it, it looks so good and life affirming and. It's a movement that, you know, if I was in Latin America, I would want to join because it looks like they're the good guys, because they are. Um, and so it, it, it is kind of exciting to see, you know, unfortunately, it's because the pro-abortion side has mobilized so well that we had to build up, you know, pro-life communities uh, around the globe. Um, but it's exciting to see that that call was answered. Um and it, it was really, truly, from what I can tell, grassroots people in those actual countries. Um, if anything, I wish that sort of the, the big names in the pro life movement in the United States would try to inject more into those other countries to help the pro life communities grow. Um, but from what I've seen, that hasn't, hasn't so much been the case. Um, and so that's kind of my next question for you. What do you see the role of you know, regular pro-lifers in the US um, as well as sort of the pro-life movement generally. What do you think our role is in terms of, you know, abortion liberalization in Latin America?
2: Well, we need to be the plant Parenthood of the good ones. You know what I mean? Just like Plant Parenthood goes and injects over there their people and their money and gives money to these extreme feminists to go and and novelize all across Latin America. We need to be doing the same. You know we need to remember that the fight on abortion—it's not only in our border. You know, it's not only in our home state. You know, I know we have to start somewhere, but you—you you know this because you've been in this movement for longer than I have, right? I'm a newbie. When we—we get to say that, except barely have two years of going activism. You know, be, before like four years ago, Emiliano, I was one of those. Pink bandanas, not even bandana, right? Like being hat, my buddy, my choice, you know, yeah. Today I feel like stupid remembering that I was part of those marches, but um, now that I've realized the damage, you know, um trying to undo the damage. But this movement right here sometimes forgot that there's more today when I attend a conference and I'm speaking publicly and I tell people that their tax money in the United States, the biggest donor bigger donor of International Planned Parenthood, I get jailed how How is it that people in this country didn't know that they pay for abortion across the line and up in seas? How is it that people ignore that, you know? I mean, I don't blame them. I ignore them. When I, work, I work for them and I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know the billions of dollars that our money is used to kill babies in other countries, you know? And so this fight is not only for the United States, you know, this fight is for the entire world. You know, we have to remember that India kills a lot of women just because they're women to be born. You know, that that's the only excuse to have an abortion. It's a girl. So let's kill it. You know, when a feminist, extreme feminist wearing a green bandana goes and scream out like we need abortions you know all on demand and without excuse and up to 40 weeks you are like, why are you asking that like the women are the more affected by abortion and i have seen that right i have seen the damage of abortion in women i have seen the darkness so what i would like to see from uh, our movement here in the united states it's a more compassionate more supportive of our sisters uh, organizations in, in Latin America, you know, like like yes, so they're mocking Roe versus Wade in every country. Well, let's help them mock the Texas hard Bill. Let's help them mock the Idaho Bill. Let's help them mock all those bills that we're going through, or, or Jack, Dobbs versus Jackson, you know. Let's help them mock that so they can do that in their own countries too, you know. Uh, I mean, it is sad, uh, like Emiliano was saying, you know, this only how fast we're losing ground in Latin America. You know, the sad part is that the, the biggest the win we get here in the United States, you know, the more States that are willing to pass restrictions against abortion, the more countries in Latin America are opening. One of the things I said is as the more they see us fight harder against black firemen in the United States. I mean, and look at this, I own a business, right? I'm in the trucking industry, Right. So if my truck wasn't doing that productive in California, what do I do? I move the truck to Arizona, right? Where it works. Any business person will do this. So what is Planned Parenthood doing? If our business is not going to be doing that great in America, let's move the, across the border. What do you get across the border? This is why Chihuahua, which is a, a border state with the United States. You know, this is why Chihuahua, Nuevo León, Sonora. Um, Sinaloa and Baja are so important to them to win and, and look they have won already one of those states they're going right now against Chihuahua. Chihuahua is the border with El Paso, Texas the next state to be legislating abortion in Sonora which is the border with Arizona the one uh, on Nuevo León which is border with Texas too you know all these states are passing in very high speed abortion. Why? Because if you lose ground on this side, then you just open the cleaning on those border shoes, who do you get? You get the Mexican women and the American women. I mean, it's no surprise that people from America travel to Mexico for medical purposes, right? It's cheaper, they're efficient. I mean, a lot of people are happy with the service they get in Mexico and not even for the cost of their copay. sometimes, you know? So basically, we get health insurance here because we know we need it by law and to cover hospital emergencies, right? But... Besides that, if you just need to go to the dentist for a clean up, just need for a quick appointment, you go down to Mexico, right? Because you know you'll be seen, they're nice, they're good doctors, right? They treat you well. This is why how they need to expand the abortion industry too. You know, because our gym will go there, our women will go there when they're forced to be um, restricting their abortions here, right? They're just going to cross to Mexico. That's why they're in such a hurry to legalize it. This is why... We have to because see, no matter how hard we try to fight on this side, yeah, we may win here, and our women may not be. But what now? She's gonna get into that bus, into that plane, fly to Mexico, and get it done in Mexico. And remember, what is my case all about? I reported the uh, complications. I reported what Trump was not reporting, and of course they were not reporting them because this is where statistics come from, right? We are. At the expense of the is being truthful and reporting complications, so we can know the complications rates of abortion. So how can we trust any statistics now if we know who has to report them, right? So imagine in a clinic in the United States. I mean, the United States is known in the world as being this, the country that you cannot get a lawsuit for anything. You know, my dog step on your door and I'm going to sue you, right? Like you get lawsuits left and right. So imagine in a country where we're supposed to be so meticulous, so, um, careful, so, uh, following protocols so much, this happens. Can you imagine what will happen? I'm sorry. I'm Mexican again. So I get to say this in a corrupted country that money talks. I mean, I'm Mexican. I yeah. know, I know that money talks in my country. You know, a doctor has money, he pays and, and they turn blind side. I mean, the drug cartel has done this for many, many years, right? I'm not, I'm gonna stop it because I don't want anything to happen to our podcast, so I'm not gonna throw the mother out there. But went <laughs> <maybe laughs> in Mexico see... todavía. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, Emiliano, no digas dónde estás. So you can imagine, right? So if this happened in a country, I mean, my complaints happen in a country, then a conservative state, let's remember it's Arizona, right? So in a conservative state where they're supposed to be after Plum Park all the time, and they got away with literally murder here. What could happen in countries like in Latin America where literally they get away with murder too all the time, right? all the time? So that's why our fight is so important. That's why we cannot we cannot just stay on the border. You know, this is why I've been telling you, there has to be a Re-humanist international every country in this continent and this side of the world, right? Because I agree. it's so important. Because it will affect us. You know, at the end, the legalization of abortion in Mexico will affect us. Our money will go there. Our people will go there. Yeah.
0: I think, I think really this, um, I mean, the internationalization of the fight over abortion also gives us opportunities um, as the Consistent Life Movement to also uh, grow and, uh, you know, get away from, uh, maybe some of the associations or, uh, the, the context of the abortion movement in the United States that has, uh, caused just kind of a lot of discomfort or preconceived notions about what the pro-life movement is. Um, and I think that there's really a, a unique opportunity in Latin America to have a, a really, uh, powerful, consistent life ethic movement. Um, Especially when, like you look at the 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 composition of the protests and uh, uh, who goes out to um, the protests and who are who are the legislators and who are the the uh, judges who are uh, ruling um, for the abortion side, and it's it tends to be uh, like lighter skinned middle class people. Um, upper-class people, people who are more highly educated, who are better off, um, the majority of the working people in the country, the, the brown-skinned people, the, the black people, uh, like that's kind of the core of the, the working class pro-life base of, of Latin America as well. So I think we have a, a really different social roots that we are very fertile for, um, uh, the expansion of a, Uh, consistent life ethic here.
1: I mean, yeah, just the idea of a pro-life movement that is not necessarily tied to the U.S. Republican Party is such a breath of fresh air. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of people in Latin America who are pro-life who I think have really bad politics, and I'll argue with them when I go visit their countries about those things. But at least, like, none of the, you know, old conservative Mexican men voted for Donald Trump if they live in Mexico. Um, you know, It's at least there's not that barrier to work with. Um, not that, obviously, you know, I, I love working with Republicans and people who do like that GOP um, strategy for the unborn. You know, I get it, I hear it, um, but it really is when I am trying to do consistent life ethic, movement building, and trying to bring pro-choice people over to our side it is always the number one barrier the it's the it's the religious thing and it is the republican thing um and often it's not even you know it's not even a problem with conservatives or certain economic beliefs or, or anything else. It is the GOP and it is Donald Trump. Um, so getting to like talk about abortion outside of the context of the United States sometimes can be very refreshing to be like, well, let's actually talk about the issue at hand and not a hundred other issues that come up as a result of the way that it has shaken out politically in this country. You get to save a lot of time that way. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, And I'm sure I'll get, I'll get bogged down by specific Mexican and Argentinian and all different countries, um, conservative politicians who are very annoying and I will disagree with on various issues, Um, but at least it's not Donald Trump, which is nice.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I think part of the issue of the pro-life movement in Latin America is that to my personal opinion, you know, and I may get um, killed by this, but I think that um, also, just like our pro-life movement, the United States has become too extreme. You know, it's not only defending the war, but it, it's going to, uh, with all these conservative movements, right? Which you know I'm referring to, you know? And, and I think yep. they get to mix into other social issues you now that they're not in an agreement with, you know, and this is where people get sidetracked. You know, I mean, and you have heard me. There's times that people ask my opinion on other things, you know, and I said, uh, my issue is the fight of abortion, you know, and this is what I'm here. I'm not going to get sidetracked because this is my fight, you know, I decided that this was my fight because I work for them. I know the business side and I just, you have to pick and choose your fight, right? And I think that if we all choose to fight for the unborn, this is where we all start, you know, but I mean... Latin America has the same or even worse immigration issues than we do in the United States, you know, and, and there's more racism there. You believe it or not, you know, even though we're all in brown skin, like it's like this really happens over here, but yeah, it does. You know, actually, I'm going to tell you a really quick story. You know, I was um, in Cancun for a conference last weekend, right? And Cancun, um, tourists don't have to wear masks because they're tourists right? Because they're tourists. they don't have to wear a mask because in Mexico still there's mask mandate in some cities. But I was a tourist, but I Brown and I know I look Mexican and speak Spanish, I was asked to wear a mask. And there's actually this lady in a restaurant said, like, well, what can you put your mask on?" And this one Canadian people had just gone in front of me and I said, you didn't ask them, well, they're tourists, so am I. I don't live in this country. I mean it is my country. But you're Mexican, she said. Oh, I I said, my husband's American, you know, he's an American citizen. So because we look Mexican, we have to wear a mask you as the Canadian. I said, that's sad, you know. So can you imagine, I mean, that happens. I mean, racism, discrimination happens in every country, you know, and, and it affects us all, you know. And I think sometimes some of this activism gets sidetracked, you know. And we have to pick and choose our fights. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you go down there, you'll end up fighting with some conservative about other issues. You know that that they're very close-minded about, and I think that's why the pro-life movement um, has lost some ground against the fa- extreme families. Even though it has grown, like you said, yes, but. We see a different, and, and, and you know, because we have a chat group where we discuss this, you know, that the feminists in, in Latin America are aggressive, like nothing I have ever seen. You know, like they burn. I mean, Emiliano can tell you, I mean, what they did in Puebla, what they did in Mexico, in Querétaro, where we have really beautiful um, churches, you know, historic play, um marks, you know, and they destroy them just by graffiti them, by doing stuff that like I have never seen. I mean, the violence that they have in their marches, it's something that I've never seen in our country, in the United States, right? I have never seen them so aggressive. And I mean, and I work for Planned Parenthood, so I, I know this group, right? Because I march with them. So that, and I think in part it has to, do because sometimes a pro-life movement and some um, Catholic, Christian very conservative countries has lost track, you know, and they're letting the families win them through another side, you know, like basically telling them the LGBT community they hate you. If they were a blue bandana, they hate you, you know, which they do at this side too, you know, pro-life women Health LGBT, and this is why we have LGBT LGBTQ pro-life groups, right? Because we want to tell them that's not true, that is not true, you know. Not all of us are like that. The majority of us actually are not like that, you know, but. This is where they have lost some ground against this extreme green bandana feminist. That's my personal
0: opinion. And I think uh, because of just the nature of violence and the nature of violence against women in Latin America, the the theme of feminicidios, feminicides, um, uh, like the the pro life movement has a very strong foundation um, to say, like, no, like, why do abortions happen here? Every, I think every single person here knows someone who has had an abortion because their boyfriend or their husband either hit them to force an abortion or took them to Mexico City to get an abortion because they said if if you don't uh, then I'm going to leave you or the the issue of uh, feminicides in. Uh, with uh, drug trafficking and with uh, just kind of domestic violence, normally, lots of times unwanted pregnancies will just end with the partner just murdering his his uh, girlfriend or spouse. What what does abortion solve there? Like the the issue of of abortion and the like unwanted pregnancies, unwanted for who? Because lots of times women don't have any say because their husbands and partners know that they can get away with whatever. Um, and so that's something that like, I, I I think the, the pro-life side can speak to with a lot more honesty and compassion than saying, if you have the right to, uh, kill your child, or Mm -hmm. if you have the right to, you know, if your husband has the right to drive you up to the, the clinic and drop you off and get it done, um, then you will be more free when it's very, very, very obvious that that's, that's not the case. And more obvious, I think, in Latin America, where the level of violence is more intense than the United States sometimes, um, that just that argument is completely, completely negated in the context of Latin America.
2: And you're completely right. I mean, let's, let's see what happened in Ecuador. Ecuador, late. well... Uh, The president was supposed to do a total veto, which he didn't, you know, but a legislation that allowing abortions to happen and letting the rapist be free. Like a woman doesn't even have to submit a police report, you know, if she was a victim of rape. So it didn't matter, you know, to them, it doesn't matter if she was a victim of rape. It doesn't matter who the perpetrator was. What matters is that she gets an abortion done right? No questions asked, which is a Planned Parenthood culture, right? This is why I always like to mention the cities in the United States that are more busy and where Planned has less restrictions or other abortionists have less restrictions about abortion are also known as the cities where the traffic is happening the most, like San Diego, like New York, right? It's a coincidence. Is it a coincidence that these two cities which are known to be being more trafficked uh, women, which are known to have more um, sexual exploitation, are the ones who are the busiest, and are the ones who have like zero restrictions when it comes to abortion. I mean, in San Diego, a 12-year-old can have an abortion without permission of their parents, or even an ID, right? That tells you everything. So why do they need the cities in Latin America, too? Well, because... In a way, and and this is why we're trying to get the feminists with the green bandanas to understand you are really against the feminist sides and you are really against the violence against women and the trafficking and sex exploitation. Then you cannot be for abortion because abortion industry has covered up for this industry for far too long. You know, so it, it's the opposite. You can't call yourself a feminist and be for abortion when abortion is an industry that covers up the exploitation of children, the exploitation of women, the sex trafficking. Do you agree, her? I,
1: yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah, I, I think in general, I, I I think we all fall into that that trap of talking about, you know, well, so we're pro life, and so then the opposing side is the feminist or the liberals or some other group um, when it's like, no, you can, you can be a pro-life feminist, obviously. And like here uh, we are the feminists. I, like we are the ones defending. It's frustrating when it's like, I feel like I'm so over that debate of like, can you be a pro-life feminist? When to me, every woman I speak, not every woman, but every pro-life woman that I interact with is the is obsessed with feminism. They constantly talk about it and not, you know, not just the women, um, but, you know, it's something that to me just, it, it's so obvious that the pro-life position is the actual, you know, position that most reflects women's liberation, equality, um, non-discrimination, non-violence. And so it, it makes sense to me that um, it, it would sort of be, it, 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 I would frame it as the you know the pro-abortion side against the feminists who are pro-life, um, but in Latin America as well as here, it is seen as the opposite. the The pro-abortion industry and movement has successfully. Totally co-opted feminism, and even and not even just feminism, but like womanhood to a certain extent, where it, it it is presented as this debate between men who want to keep abortion illegal and women fighting for women's right to have an abortion. Um, and I, I I so often see that framing, um, and it's so frustrating. As someone who goes to pro-life events, um, as well as you know, I go to pro-choice events when I'm there to counter-protest, um, and I see that both sides are essentially run by women. <laughs> like I, at these at these events, that um, you know, it's often pro-life leaders are women. Um, I don't know. It's very, the, the whole feminism angle on the abortion issue is always, it just makes me want to roll my eyes because I don't think that there is one coherent, single, definitive definition of what a feminist is or what feminism is. Um, and so I think the, the desperate need to, to claim that label for the pro-abortion side or for the pro-life side to counter their co-opting of feminism, um, Is always something that it's like well of course all the pro-life people in every country also oppose the killing of women um you know that that should be a given it should be something that it's not that isn't debated the fact that there are people in latin america like these feminists who i disagree with strongly on abortion you know i'm on their side when it comes to fighting femicide like obviously that should be, you know, the pro-life movement should be doing that anyway. Um, and so I think I, Emiliano has this great point that, you know, we, you know, not me because I'm not Latin American myself. I don't live there. But, you know, the you and leader, leaders who are actually from there um, should be able to speak to that issue better from the pro-life position than, you know, a, a pro-abortion or pro-choice uh you know, advocate could ever do. Um, I think I think Emiliano totally hit the nail on the head when it comes to um, the fem- the feminist issue um, and the the way that it sort of operates in Mexico and other countries in Latin America.
2: And you know, this the sad part. The sad part about the, the feminism is that you I have encountered extreme feminists that when I tell them. the majority of abortions are female to be born internationally this is not a made-up number it's on Planned Parenthood's page and the IPP you know uh, on any of their other groups that they help them do this studies and research and statistics right that over 50 percent of the abortions are female to be born that's the first feminist side right that we're killing them before they're born and when you tell them this and I like, well, that's good. They don't come to the world to suffer and be raped and be killed. Also, let's kill them before. Instead of demanding stronger actions against these rapists, instead of demanding that instead of legalizing abortion in Ciudad waters, why don't we remind the real solution for the disappearance of these women? You don't hear them demand this. You know, just like, I've never heard them. I don't know about your hair, but I have never been in a movement. My former employer didn't even perform any sterilization. Just so we're clear. Planned Parenthood does not offer sterilizations. And I take a debate anytime with anyone about this because I worked for them for 17 years. And I was told there's no there's no money worth there. You know, when I said, Well, I had a doctor here that offered to do vasectomies for free at Planned Parenthood, and my boss said it's there's it's not worth the money. But abortion is worth the money. So you don't ever hear this extreme feminine side saying we want free sterilizations at any age and any time on the mind. No. Why? Because they have been injected this chant of, you know, it's your right. It's your right, your body autonomy, and you should be the, the right to kill that baby whenever you want to, because it's convenient for this industry, you know? Forgetting what they were there for, right? Like, like on March 8th, their demand should have been more protection, more rights for women, right? That when you show up to apply for a job and they see you're pregnant, they don't turn you away. Or when the school clears that you're pregnant, they're willing to work with you on these issues, right? Or when you're a girl, you should be getting paid, you know, not like Myra at one that was getting paid less than a guy, right? No, mm-hmm. that you should be demanding that you they should be some fair, equity there, right? But no. The, their demands were all about abortion. You know, it's sad. that the movement has turned, in, instead of fighting for what really matters, they're actually just fighting for legal abortion up to 40 weeks. Yeah. So, And this is when we realize that that movement has been corrupted. You know, it has been corrupted. And this is what Emiliano was asking, the influence, right? The money injected by Plan Parenka, right? The money... The, the easy way for them to mobilize people. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I mean, if you've been to those marches where they have feminists, sometimes they're not even Mexican. They come from other cities, you know, like they're not even from that town. You know, the, the, you can see cause they're not that brown. And I'm not saying there's no blonde people in Mexico. I mean, you guys can see Emiliano but he's pretty
0: white. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we have a lot of blonde and white people in Mexico. Yes. But, I mean, they didn't speak Spanish, you know. They just had the chance, you know, uh, uh, that they needed to learn. But they come and inject themselves in cities, and we know who's paying for them. We know who's sending them there. We know who's helping them inject this poison, telling women in those countries that they need abortion. And that's the key, telling women that abortion is needed.
0: I think, um, so there was just news from the other day that I think Jeff Bezos' wife, um, uh, donated like I don't know how many millions or billions of dollars to I, I don't know which uh, abortion organization, but basically for abortion. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, in uh, to to do abortions internationally, and so I think like this also becomes part of environmental justice and part of migrant justice because why why do billionaires? Want to be so sure that we are eliminating what effectively be the poor brown people of countries in the, the south?
2: Future immigrants, correct? Exactly,
0: and they they know. And this is like I, this is like the movie Don't Look Up or Elysium. Like the rich people know where the world is headed. They they know they know all the science. They profit off of you know making sure that you know fossil fuels continue and that like global warming is going to intensify and force migrations and cause droughts and wars and ambrunas uh, uh, and like climate crisis and everything like that. They know, even though they're making money off of it, that that's where that's going. So I really see no uh, news like that as. Uh, basically, just like a, we're in this is an investment for us to make sure that all of these poor brown people aren't knocking on our doors like they have been in the past year with by millions and millions at a time because they know what's coming. They know that these countries, a lot of the times, are going to be left uninhabitable, that like conflicts over resources and water and food are going to force migrations, and that no matter how draconian your border policy is, some people are going to get there. And this is an investment for the future to be like, we're going to nip this in the bud before it starts. And this is something that yeah. has been said more uh, just. More bluntly and openly, in books like Freakonomics, the authors explicitly say, oh, uh, the violent crime wave of the uh, 1970s and 80s diminished by the 1990s because all of the uh, basically excess poor people who were going to be born in the 70s um, that would be coming of age in the 90s as uh, young unemployed people, we took care of that. They, they were eliminated by Roe versus Wade after 1973.
2: Exactly. And you're completely right. Yeah. And you know, there's a famous quote from a movie that says that if you build it, they will come. Right. In this case, if you kill them, they won't come. Yeah. Right. You because kill them, why? Come. You have seen them. You have seen them promote the abortion free abortions for the indigenous in Mexico mm-hmm. indigenous people don't want abortions they want to have families they just want to be able to provide for their families they're family oriented right I mean this is something I said all the time in my conference us Latinos are known for liking to have large families I don't know about you Emiliano, but I have over 20 cousins and I love it I love the big parties that we get the big gatherings you know Knowing that you have cousins everywhere in the world sometimes, you know, it's kind of fun, you know. Well, I have a cousin there, you know, like as a Mexican, it's normal for us to say we have cousins here and there, right? Because that's our culture. So it is also an attack to our culture, as you were saying, you know, as part of a discrimination against us because they're killing the poor people knowing purposely that 60% of the immigrants in this country are from people that were doing economically bad in their country that's a reality right it's not like rich people from from uh colombia or mexico move immigrate to the united states now they come as tourists right they come as investors too but the people who immigrate here who come to america to work are the people who are uh in economically um poor right so They're the ones who are getting promoted The free abortions, right? The free abortions for them, because they know that, like I said, if you kill them, they won't come.
0: And we should call it, especially in the case of indigenous people, we should call that exactly what that is. That's genocide. That's no different. That's no different than what the United States did to indigenous people until the 1970s was forced sterilizations and forced abortions to reduce their numbers,
2: Exactly, exactly. Just like, it is not a coincidence that her locations in the United States are located with the majority of Hispanic or black communities. It's not. It's a genocide. It is, again, the same mentality of marketing. Time. you're going after certain people who they find they should not be uh, recreating, you know, they should not be reproducing. So, that's our two cents there. <laughs>
1: I, I appreciate it. You don't need to look to me to be <laughs> to approve of everything you say. Sorry, my camera's off for a second, so I couldn't nod along as though I approved. Um, I do though. Um, and you approve this message. Yeah, I approve yeah, no, just anything that Emiliano or Amira have ever said, I probably approve. Uh, that's definitely oh. not true. <laughs> actually, yeah, I'm like, thinking here. of <laughs> I'm thinking of your <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's actually not true. Um but anyway, I I, I'll, I probably support whatever you said in the 30 seconds I was getting a new drink from the kitchen. But actually,
2: that's the cool part of our group, right? Um, we don't agree on 100% of the things, right? Like, for example, I'm Catholic. I'm sure as a Catholic, there's a lot of things that we may not agree, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But that's the cool part about our group, right? Uh, um, what did I call us the other day? The... Uh, the forgotten children or something like that, <laughs> you know, the the misfits. Remember, I call those the misfits, right? Because we're the ones that, uh, me, for example, as a Mexican immigrant, sometimes it's really hard to get into certain extreme pro-life groups that are very pro-Trump and very conservative and very pro-Make um, America Great Again, you know? Because they are yeah, I, mean, I think
1: Particularly, right? we were talking about your bravery for you know, standing up to Planned Parenthood as an undocumented person, but you're also showing up to these like traditionally conservative pro-life events now as a formerly undocumented person, which is absolutely something that people have an issue with at those events. Um, Obviously not everyone. um, And most people are just glad you're here and on the right side of the, the abortion debate and are a, a wonderful ally in this fight, but I've seen it come up. I've seen people kind of, uh, say some negative things about, um, you know, about you. And I'm sure people in your family and in your community who um, who uh, may still be undocumented or may have that as part of their history, um, it's you know it's brave being part of the pro life movement as as someone with your history as it is sometimes being brave as a, an atheist or an LGBT person to put yourself in um, these environments where there is going to be a lot of disagreement with you um, and you know even in our misfit circle where we are in some way alternative you know I me and Emiliano disagree strongly on a lot of issues I'm sure same with. You know, Teresa Bakovenak and Amy Murphy and all these people who, um, you know, I overwhelmingly think have pretty good politics. Um, there are certainly several issues that we can find outside of the consistent life ethic that I am able to argue about all day Um, but i don't do it on the podcast because i want this to be an environment of welcoming and not me just calling out catholics for their bad opinions um
0: i'm catholic too i get i get to be i I get to be the gay catholic that uh is in the pro-life movement but also
1: yeah he makes people mad on every side (laughs)
2: I'm telling you, we're the misfits, you know, which is, in a way, sometimes it's sad, you know, it's sad because what we stand for, each on our own different um, perspectives, it's just the right thing, you know, for example, you know, as an immigrant, you know, the right to treat others with respect, you know, the right to treat others like they're human beings. I mean, I welcome you to see the comments on my YouTube uh, channel sometimes in those interviews and the way people use... uh, we're so hurtful and hateful against just for being an immigrant, you know, like go back to Mexico and we don't want you here. And well, good for you that you've been playing and now go back to Mexico, you know, like stuff like that. Uh, So I mean, us, we get hateful comments. We get haters from all the perspectives and, and all kinds of views. You know, whether it's because we stand with the LGBT community, whether it's because we're Catholic, whether it's because we're pro life, whether it's because we're immigrant, there's something, you know. But, and it's a sad part because all we're doing at the end is standing for what's right, right? And that's why my story, you know, when people tell me, like you were saying, like how brave and how heroic, it, it's sad because I did the right thing, right? Speaking up, I always like to say this speaking up is not an option for me, it's an obligation. And this is what I taught my children always, you know, speaking up, it's an obligation. If you see something wrong, speak up about it. So it was time for me to show them that I was going to do what I said always, that it's the right thing to do. You defend all human rights because that's the right thing to do, you know. And and every human deserves the right to be loved and deserves the right to be free. And that's what we want, you know. So this is why we're the pro-life for the whole life, you know. It doesn't matter. Like if that person committed a crime, he does not, no one deserves to kill them. You know, he deserves a sentence, yes, and we all agree on that, you know, but no one deserves I mean the Catholic in means like Jesus and only God, right? But people who are atheists know that no one should have the right to terminate another life, right? And that's what we're here for the basic right of human life.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good place to end it um before before i we've been recording for an hour now who knows how much maria's gonna cut out i don't think a lot yeah i think this is gonna be just a long episode because it was good everything everything was good so good job good job team for that um before we go myra do you have anything that you want to plug or promote um your social media handles any upcoming events anything that we can tag on to the end of this episode to make sure that people go check out to follow your work
2: Oh yes, definitely. You can follow me at the Real Mayra Rodriguez. I knew one day it will come in handy. They were accusing me to be the same Minor Rodriguez that had something to do in, in um, another state with January 6th, which to me was not even relevant. But then I heard what it was about. Remember, Romero? I, remember I asked everyone in the group chat. What is all that? What is January six? I'm not getting this, you know. But <laughs> So the real Maya Rodriguez, that's me, the former plant farming director and waste of I have a webpage, MayaRodriguez.org. We're actually right now working on um, putting new stuff there. Uh, there's also Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Telegram, which I hardly get into. Um, and then I'm also everywhere. Usually I do a lot of uh, virtual events with Latin America. Um, in presence, I will be in Waco, Texas. Um, I will be also here in Phoenix, Arizona, closing, um, on Good Friday with Bishop Olmstead. Um, I'll be in July in Monterey, and then hopefully June in Sonora, Mexico, or Hermosillo. I still gotta go to Puebla, Emiliano. You're gonna be there with me when I do, okay?
0: Yeah, let me know when you come through.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, um... So yeah, you guys can just support all of us, you know, especially with Humanized International. I said that at the beginning, I'm going to close with that. To me, it's uh, uh, an organization very close and dear to my heart because of what I stand for. You know, it is the right thing, standing for our human life. You know, and, and the way you argue with vegans who are pro-abortion, I love it.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm gonna stop recording now.